Welcome back to A Texan Abroad. This is the 15th of my set of 30 political conversations, video podcasts I'm doing that you can find on my Instagram profile, a.texan.abroad, or you can find the audio versions on my podcast feed, A Texan Abroad, available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Find me there, subscribe, rate, and review, and let me know how I'm doing. I think today I'm doing a little bit worse for wear, so to speak. We had a nice long get-together last night with uh, a bunch of my friends here in Moscow. I think the last stragglers left my home about mm, 4.30, uh, somewhere around there in the morning. And I was up about 8 in the morning because I had some work to do at about 9. And why do I bring this up? Well, one, I might sound or look a little bit tired today because I have been working after not so much sleep. Uh, but as I promised myself, I'm trying to run every day and pot every day, something I promised myself and you. But also, uh, I posted on Instagram earlier that I had stayed up late and woken up early with the little hashtag, do what you love. Uh, and one of my good friends, Bob, who I've mentioned several times on here, uh, actually messaged me and he said, how do you do it? I don't know how you do it, how you get up so early with so little sleep after having a lot of fun and go work all day. And to be honest, it's because I actually do what I love, or I love what I do. Again. Um, and I think actually it's kind of sad that not many people can make that statement incredibly honestly. I talk with a lot of people all the time in prepping them for job interviews and other things. And um, the way that they respond to the things in their work that bring them pride, the things that they like about their work, it's very easy for me to say that the majority of people that I know, that I work with, that I interact with, they see work as a means to an end, whereas I see my work as an end to itself. It's something that I truly enjoy and love doing. And I want to thank all of my former and current students out there who uh, continue to talk to me and open themselves up to me and allow me to teach them something and in the process usually teach me something. So why do I go, why am I rambling on about my job and, and what I like to do? Well, it's because today I'm going to talk a little bit about something that has become near and dear to me over the last few years as I've started to understand it because I think in the end it will actually, if it has ever implemented in any kind of way, it's a huge political uh, societal change that actually could turn the tides with the way that we look at careers. Um, and that is a concept called UBI, or Universal Basic Income. You might have heard about it uh, during the Democratic primary. There was a presidential candidate, uh, Andrew Yang, who ran on this particular platform. The idea of sending uh, all American citizens $800 a month. I think that was the number that he had come up with, or uh, $1,200. It just depends on the number uh, that you kind of calculate. So let me explain what the idea is. The idea is pretty simple. Every person in a country or a city or a state, depending on how widespread the UBI is, every person above a certain age, and actually even below that age, their money is counted uh, or saved into an account that they get access to once they're 18. So everyone older than 18, at least the kind of basic gist of the system is everyone older than 18, every month gets a check for a set amount of money, $500, $800, $1,000, whatever. 
Uh, you need economists, you need other people to kind of figure out how much you can send and how much you should spend. Um, as I said, also a lot of the theorists believe that you can uh, put money in escrow, put it into a trust uh, when a young person is born, so they have 18 years of payments uh, that are saving and earning interest, so that once they turn 18, they have a pile of capital that they can use in whatever way they deem fit. So that's the, the gist of it. There is no kind of, you have to be making less money than this person, more money than this person. It is very simple. You have one set amount of money, you send it to everyone every month. Or sometimes the theorists also describe it uh, quarterly or even yearly. But that's the idea. Everyone viewed upon in the same particular fashion. So why should uh, liberals or those on the left, Democrats, get behind the idea? Well, actually, they want more social programs. They want more support for those individuals who don't have it themselves, who need it most. What, if not, what, is, not, uh, what is more supportive than actually giving people the money that they need to get by, to survive? What is more leveling of the playing field, in a way, than actually giving people cash in their pockets to do with as they please? It is a form of social security. It is a form of welfare. It is a form of all of those things. And it allows people to, even in a time like now, in a time of crisis, to survive um, when either money from their jobs or they lose their jobs, um, whatever the case may be. It allows them to get through those difficult times. It also allows them generally to make life decisions that are more in their interest. As I said, most people actually work because it's a means to an end. They need money. So we end up taking jobs that maybe we don't want or uh, staying in jobs that we don't enjoy or we don't like, uh, not having the leverage to negotiate with an employer, uh, something I talked about yesterday. If everyone had kind of a parachute, um, that if I quit my job, I still have this minimum basic income, uh, this universal basic income of $600 or $800 or $1,200, I could feel a lot more confident about actually quitting my job, giving me more leverage, more bargaining power when I come to the table for whoever it is. It also would help out actually small businesses because you could accurately and correctly price out the labor of small businesses and low-skilled workers. So someone working at Starbucks not only would, uh, would be willing to work there for a particular, not Starbucks, but like a local cafe, as I said before, Starbucks can actually probably afford to pay a higher wage. Regardless, actually with a company like Starbucks, when you think about it, you give that employee more bargaining power, saying I'm not going to work for less than this, then actually uh, Starbucks ends up raising the minimum wage because the cost, the value of their labor actually goes up. Actually, one of the things that Yang brings up a lot, because he has a son who is autistic, and this is a really strong argument, especially on the, uh, just on the humanitarian side, I would say, uh, for universal basic income, is there's a whole host of people whose jobs are not really counted in the economy. The, those mothers, uh, even grandmothers, fathers, those individuals who stay at home and help raise children or help actually take care of older family members as well, they are not valued by the economy because they're only doing something that we see as beneficial to their family and no one's paying them for it. That's something, that's an aspect of our economy that should in some way be counted. And I think universal basic income is a hell of a way to do that. So why should the Republicans, the conservatives, those on the right get behind it? Well, 
as I said before, when we started talking about forms of government and kind of the fundamental question, actually the whole big theory behind universal basic income is that you get rid of a lot of government programs. There is one program. There is no welfare. There is no universal health care. There are no kinds of those things. You give a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 30 or 35 or 50-year-old a set amount of money. They can decide if they want to spend that on private health insurance or if they want to spend it uh, on food or drugs or anything else. And yes, I hope that they will actually make the decisions. And there's a lot of research, but no fundamental or no correct uh, solid answers as to how people would actually spend that money if given to them. But it treats everyone the same and it allows people to make the decisions that they want to make. We put the onus back on the individual, not on society, not on the government to decide who gets what money, how they spend it, food stamps that can only be used for certain things. You, every person, every impoverished person, every rich person, every person gets this particular stipend. And I think a, a lot of the programs, a lot of the ideas uh, say that you, if you're above a certain level and you want to opt out, or even if you actually uh, are not above a certain level, but you still want to opt out, you can. Now, a, and a lawyer who's making $100,000 a year might not need that extra $12,000. However, that's money that's going to go back into the economy, whether it's money that's saved, it's money that's used on a, a purchase, a better vacation, whatever. Again, it's money that goes actually back into the economy. And the important thing, you're putting the onus on the individual, the responsibility, which is a big thing with a lot of conservatives. You want people to work for a living. You want people to take care of themselves. Give everyone in the country, a city, a state, the opportunity to make their own decisions, to kind of pull themselves up by the very basic means that they need to do so. So in a way, you have less government, but you have more support. It's the best of both worlds. So why do I support this idea? Well, actually, it's my opening rant. It is, I think, we think about work as society, as capitalists, as almost everyone, including uh, like more socialistic economies and even communism back in the day. We think about work as a means to an end. Yeah? Uh, this is the thing that I do as a you know, member of society, or I do it basically because I need to get money so that I can pay rent, so can I, I can afford my children's education, so I can do all of these other different things. We should view work as the thing that we do that helps make the world a little bit better that we're pretty good at and so someone is willing to give us a little bit of money for it and the difficult thing in bringing about that version a utopian version perhaps of the future is that not many people can get paid very well for something that they haven't done very much of at least not yet and people are very hesitant Actually, the brother that I speak of very oftenly on these podcasts, who I am incredibly proud of, he is extraordinarily pragmatic. And the idea of chasing after a dream in the hopes that one day it can pay the bills, it's just not his style. It wasn't my father's style. It's not a lot of people's style. I would say that a lot of my friends back home, and even a lot of my friends here, they would scoff at the idea that a job should be something that you love, that you do, and would happily do for free. And despite the fact that I was tired this morning, I would have happily met every one of those students for free and talked to them about the things that we talked about and share with them the knowledge and the wisdom that I have accumulated with them absolutely free of charge. Now, I didn't, but that's because I am worried about how I'm going to pay for my next month's rent or, or whatever else. 
because that's the society, that's the thing that we live in. We have an opportunity with this concept, this universal basic income, to flip that on its head, to change the way we view work and in turn the way we view life. And I think that is such a huge game changer. Now, that leads us to the final question. How in the heck do we pay for it? There is 320 million Americans. <coughs> Excuse me. And if we're going to give every one of them $12,000 a year, that is a lot of money. Yeah? I don't even know how many. That is the trillion dollar question, I should say. I don't know what the exact number is. I probably should have done the calculation before I, before I came. But point being, that's a lot of money. And where are we going to get it? Well, one of the first things that we need to think about is getting rid of a lot of the government programs that I've talked about will free up a lot of capital, a lot of the uh, excess budget. When you cut some of those programs, and sadly, you're going to have to cut some of those government jobs as well. But all of that, all of those resources, the government uh, normally shells out in different programs, you can divert that to the UBI program. Secondly, as much as I disagree with a lot of increased taxes, <coughs> if we had a program like this, and it was acceptable, all of the terms and the ideas were acceptable on both sides of the aisle, I think you could actually get people, especially uh, wealthy people, including Andrew Yang, who is himself a self-made millionaire. Um, I think you could get a lot of rich people, a lot of billionaires behind it and help them to help fund it. Um, how you do it, again, I think that's a logistical question that we ultimately need to figure out and discuss. But as I've said a couple of times about the current crisis in which we find ourselves, this is an opportunity for us to think about some bigger structural, more fundamental questions about society. Not just the social aspects, but the business, the economic aspects as well. And I, for one, I really long for, and I hope that I'll live to see a world in which people do what they love to do. That they wake up with the passion and enthusiasm for the thing that they're about to spend their day doing that I did today, despite being a little bit tired and a little bit of a headache. If you can wake up every day with that kind of passion and love and enthusiasm, not a day goes by that you don't appreciate. So think about that. Think about how you feel about your job and think about whether or not we should move towards this incredibly bright version of the future. And until tomorrow, I'm a Texan abroad.